Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Stand with Candace Kelly. This show takes a look at social justice issues impacting society. Here's your host, Rowan University professor Candace Kelly. Timothy Thomas Fortune, known better as T. Thomas Fortune, is not a household name yet, but he certainly is on his way. Fortune was one of the nation's most prominent journalists and civil rights leaders of his time. He was the editor and owner of a newspaper first named The Globe, then The Freeman, and finally The New York Age. At its height, its circulation was more than 200,000. This paper had distribution throughout the United States, Canada, Europe, Africa, the Caribbean, and Central America. Fortune's home in Red Bank, New Jersey, built in the mid-19th century, was named a National Historic Landmark in 1976. It was going to be demolished until a group of preservationists and community members banded together with the goal to crowdfund over $1 million to buy the home. Now, the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center carries out his legacy of activism and community involvement. Gilda Rogers is the executive director of the center, and she is joining me now. Gilda, thank you for being with us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Yes. And for people who have no idea about who T. Thomas Fortune was, I mean, he has such an incredible story. How would you summarize what his legacy is all about? Social justice and civil rights for African-American people, but for all people. So that was what he stood for. And, you know, as a journalist, he he did so much through his papers. How would you explain the importance of that? It was vital because, you know, that was the social media of the day, per se, saying newspapers, the black press. And Fortune's paper, especially the New York Age, it was a it was one of the most prominent newspapers of its time during uh, a time in America that was known as the Gilded Age, all right? So he, he's speaking truth to power at a time when it is known as, you know, a glitz and glamour and greed and all of this. And he's speaking out on behalf of the injustices and, you know, the exclusion of African-American people in politics, you know, society, in every aspect, economics, you know, job opportunities, education. He was writing about, you know, lynching and mob violence and fighting discrimination and disenfranchisement. He was doing so much through his very, very popular editorials. Um, How would you say this impacted people at the time? It was a voice to, you know, engage and how would I put it, you know, Get attention, get the attention of people because he was a great orator. Um, he just, um, he, his impact at that time is monumental because he is, he's given opportunities to so many people that we hear of now and know of in the history and canon of history. But he's lacking. So, I mean, he was a mentor to uh, Booker T. Washington. He gave um, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a column in his newspaper. He had Ida B. Wells uh, at his newspaper when hers was burned down by the Ku Klux Klan. So, you know, he ran in the, um, with contemporaries like James Weldon Johnson, um, William Monroe Trotter, 
all of these people that, you know, many of them, we've heard their names, but Fortune is the one that's really out there leading and, and, and activating. And, you know, he started the, um, in 1887, he starts the National Afro-American League, which was the first successful black political organization, which had chapters all across the country. I mean, yeah, across this nation. Um, I think it was like 37 chapters. Bringing all of these leaders, many of the folks that I spoke of together to, to come up with strategies and ways to engage the politics, white politics of America to, you know, start making them live up to what this country is supposed to be about. So I would say his impact at that time was, um, it was great. He, he was, and so it's all, it's really ironic. Mm-hmm. It's ironic because I'm sitting here telling you what his impact was and, and how he was this major voice of that time, but, but nobody has heard of him. Right, right. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those, he's one of those hidden figures that when you start to, you know, pull back the layers of the onion and learn about him, you go to yourself, how is it that I never heard this man's name? Especially since he was the foundation for so many things. I mean, the NAACP, I understand, was built upon the concepts that he created in terms of the organizations that he formed. Exactly, exactly. You know, in 1902, they had a big convention in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, By then, the name had changed to the National Afro-American Council. But it was the same group of people, you know, they were still working. And he started this back in, you know, 1887. So all of those years, they're still working, you know, they're working in concert to try to, you know, change what we know it still needs fixing here in America. (laughs) And that's justice um, for particularly African-American people at that time and now. Basically the social media, as we understand it, he had his own social media with all of his newspapers and, and the reach at its time was, was incredible. It was incredible. It would be incredible today. Yeah, it would be incredible today. And see, what most people don't know, too, is that, you know, yes, we have other newspapers that belong to the black press, right? But many of them, the most prominent ones, they don't come into existence until after Fortune. Fortune is the one whose newspaper becomes the most prominent newspaper at that time that was said to rival the New York Times. And then we get the Chicago Defender. That doesn't come until 1905. Fortune has already been, you know, established. And his newspaper is up and running. You know, he's had three newspapers and by 1887. So, and the Pittsburgh Courier, those papers come after uh, the New York age. So, Fortune is a trailblazer. That's what he is. He's, like I said, he's opening the door for everybody else. <laughs> his home. <laughs> to come. Um, how did he find his way into Red Bank, New Jersey? Well, it's a couple of stories. Um, one is that he found his way. He, one of his good friends was William Somerset. And um, he was a 
prominent figure here in this area, um, in the shore area. And if you come to the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center, you'll see um, placards up and it mentions his name. So some say that Somerset brought him to Red Bank. There's other, um, and that could be so, and that could be the story that is that he was looking for a home in the country. He had lived in Brooklyn, he and his family, for 24 years before they came to Red Bank in 1901. And it was said that he was looking for a home in the country, and maybe that's how his association with William Somerset brings him here for that. But then there's also another story that um, he was, he was and he really admired um, Bishop Alexander Crummel, and as a matter of fact, Crummel died in Red Bank in 1896. So it said that he came here because of him, or he had visited um, him here. Um, so I don't know; that could be it too. So I, those are the the folk that's the folklore <laughs> of why fortune came to a red bank and he lived here for a, a number of years until but- about 1911 he lived here and, and during that time is when he also was um commissioned by the president theodore roosevelt to go to the philippines to study race and trade and that was in 1902 that he went there and he was like there for like a year uh, he, he was in Hawaii, he was in uh, the Philippines, and he also, while in Red Bank, wrote the book Dreams of um, Life, which is a book of poems. He was a great poet. He was a great poet. Mm. He was a great writer, thinker. You know, he had, during Reconstruction, see, Fortune is is in a... a um, I don't what what's the word? he was in a situation where okay born into slavery right but then during reconstruction is when he's growing up during reconstruction period and his father Emmanuel Fortune is elected to the Florida Assembly and Fortune at 13 years old is is a, a Senate page he's working in politics as a little Senate page so he's up close to politics very, at, a, at very a young, unusual. yeah, at a young age, which brings him into close proximity of those attitudes and you know nefarious workings of white people in politics as he saw it against black people. So now this becomes his life's work uh, because he's seen it from the inside. And I think that is why he's so tenacious and he knows, you know, he's, he's, he's connected politically to a lot of white politicians. I mean, Fortune had went and testified um, in front of like Congress, uh, the Education Committee. I can't remember the uh, chairperson's name talking about education in the South. So, I mean, he was politically astute. And, you know, he was a a great writer, like I said, thinker. So that's why he's pushing the pedal to the metal, because he knows some things. He knows some things that a lot of black people that time didn't know because they weren't inside like he was. His father was is revolutionary, too. It's like they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His father was very radical. 
you know, and that's why they had to, they had to flee um, Mariana, Florida to go to Jacksonville because as it's told to me, um, he was going to be the family by the Ku Klux Klan was going to be um, killed and slaughtered mm. because of his father's political work. That his son was clearly learning about and was going to continue mm-hmm. the legacy of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and he- the fear and the fear that must have engulfed the family. They had to flee Mariana, Florida, like in a, in a dime's notice and get out of there. So all of this stuff is working in him. That's why he has like this very radical, you know, you, I don't care, not, I don't care, but he, he doesn't leave anything on the table. You know, he's not playing. He's serious. He's, he's serious about trying to create a society that is just for African-American people women because he was very much a part of the women's suffragist movement he spoke at many of their um meetings and conventions and things like that so all people that were being marginalized at that time you know even you know immigrants that came here italians that might have had a little darker hue than you know uh anglo-saxons Um, who also found themselves in a precarious way in the South, in New Orleans, and some of them were lynched. And Fortune wrote about this and spoke out about this, too, in his newspaper. So, and the Brownsville and all of these, you know, race riots, you know, all of these things. He was, you know, he was firing off. Like I said, his newspaper was the social media of that, of this North, let's say this North East corridor mm-hmm. and, and beyond because his paper was all over the black press, you know, Pullman Carl Porter's taking it all over, you know, the United States. But right here in this area in New York, you know, the metropolitan area here where things are really happening mm-hmm. and he's there at that time. Um, uh, uh, um, you know, he's, um, I don't know. He's a very important figure during the 1800s, which we call the Gilded Age, the mid to late 1800s and into, obviously, the uh, early 20th century. Certainly. And so much so that the home that he lived in became a National Historic Landmark um, in 76. But it, it was sold into the hands of a family to the point where it was eventually going to be demolished. And I know that that's where things really take a turn in terms of people like you, other people galvanizing in the community to save that. It happened for a number of years in terms of fundraising and getting the word out. How did you eventually come to where you are to have this beautiful center? And for people who don't know where it is in Red Bank, New Jersey at 94 Dr. James Parker Boulevard, it's an incredible place and a, a beautiful center, the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center. What was it like to get there? We were out using our voices to just try to bring awareness to who Fortune was and why people should pay attention to what we were saying and why this home was so important to, you know, Red Bank, but to the state of New Jersey and to this nation. 
because it's a national historic landmark. And that means Fortune had to make some, you know, real contributions and be thought of in, you know, in a, in a high manner for this home to be christened a national historic landmark. But it, it was years. It took years. It was in, I would say that, you know, it kind of started out of my little bookstore that I had called Frank Talk Art Bistro and Books, where we had the first Fortune uh, birthday party or birthday bash, as we named them, in October. His birthday is October 3rd. And we had the first one there. And that was the first starting to talk about this person. And then continued. And then people got on board, like-minded people got on board who, once they found out his story and that the house had this value to it and it's a history that belongs, that goes with that house, you know, because Booker T. Washington visited Fortune there. Uh, Louis Latimer, the scientist, visited Fortune there. Wow. Uh, and I'm sure others that I don't even know about visited him at that home. So it was, it was, and then it was just many things brewing at the time that it was like a perfect storm, I guess you would call it, uh, because black men were being killed by, you know, police officers at that time, 2008 in you know, just shot down in the street. The home was being, you know, the well, well, application had been filed by the owners at that time to have it demolished. And someone, we had little yellow, bright yellow lawn signs all around town that said, save the T. Thomas Fortune House. Mm-hmm. We were speaking at libraries, in people's homes, anyone that would hear us. We even had a symposium over a historic preservation symposium using fortune as the focus, the house at Brookdale Community College back in 2013. And this all continued. And we kept galvanizing you know, more people and, and getting more attention. And we got the attention of the state. Uh, unfortunately, the offer they made to the um, owners of the house at that time, the owners rejected it. So, you know, we were in limbo again. But then a gentleman by the name of Roger Mumford, who is a building developer, he was curious enough to wonder what were those yellow signs that were all over town? What were they about? Who was this person, T. Thomas Fortune? And he did his own little research, and then he got in touch with me. I didn't know him, and he didn't know me, and asked if I would meet with him in his office to talk about the Fortune House. Hmm. And as it turns out, Roger was feeling a certain kind of way as a white man that listening and seeing on television these um, murders of African-American men at that time. And he wanted to do something. He actually wanted to do something, but didn't know what he could do to help. And that's when he, you know, latched on to understanding who Fortune was, what he was about, 
and maybe this would be something since he had the expertise of building and developing, you know, um, places could be a project. So he, you know, he approached me with that and said, what if I purchased the property restored back to its, you know, original footprint in all its grandeur when fortune lived there, because this home, when fortune lived there, it, it would be a mansion. When we come back, T. Thomas Fortune hits the big screen on HBO. Gilda Rogers, the executive director of the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center, gives us the details. And we're back talking about the legacy of T. Thomas Fortune, an amazing journalist, civil rights leader. This is a man who wore a lot of hats. He's someone, Gilda, who had he been alive today, he would have gal- been able to galvanize people in the streets. He would have had millions of followers. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. someone who was ahead of his time. We talked about how he had done so much and has done so much, but his name really is not a household name. But I, I think the fact that he did hit the big screen on HBO in this <laughs> se- series, The Gilded Age, that certainly couldn't have hurt. That was part of this perfect storm. Because that just opens up the door for so many people to know who T. Thomas Fortune was. I was impressed just to learn that the creators of the show had enough knowledge, not that they don't have knowledge, but that they knew to go in the history annals as they did to pull out someone like Fortune to feature in this series because it was no one else that I think that could have been better to pick to feature in this uh, series because of his activism at that time. And we've garnered so much media attention from it as well. So it was the shot in the arm that we needed, obviously too. Especially post COVID if we, and we're not quite there yet, but during those years when we were all inside because the center, you, know, you had the ribbon cutting in 2019. So there was a short amount of time that you had before COVID. And for those people who don't know about this HBO series, Gilded Age, it takes place in the United States during the Gilded Age, which are the real boom years of the 1880s in New York City. And Fortune is portrayed as the man that he is, someone who is a journalist who has a newspaper that is making a huge imprint on society at the time. I know that you had a watch party with Sullivan Jones. He is the actor that plays T. Thomas Fortune. That must have been exciting just to hear his perspective because he came down and visited the center to do a little research. And so you were able to know about this before the world knew about it. We just all screamed. Wow. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And so, yes, you know, he wanted to know some things about Fortune and just be there to know that Fortune had lived here. And, yeah, when we had the watch party, that was so successful that we didn't even have enough Zoom spaces. (laughs) I guess, you know, you buy it according to I think we only went up to 100. Uh-huh. We went up to a hundred Zoom spaces. That's how many people could log in, but we didn't have enough because it was more than a hundred people that had logged in. And you know, his talk about Fortune was very interesting because, you know, he said because Fortune is so 
unknown, no one really knew him, he has the freedom to create fortune how he feels him. You know what I mean? He's not a person that someone could identify his nuances and, you know, the way he moves or, you know, even talks. We don't have any audio of his voice. So he was, and he said, you know, for him as an actor, you know, that's a lot of, that's freedom to be able to, you know, this is a real character. He recognizes this man is a real character and he wants to do him justice. But he gets the freedom to to make him out to be how he feels him, how he feels the work, what he's read about fortune, what he's come to know and understand about this person. So, you know, he was very excited to be playing this character. And he actually had to really operate a real printer's press from back then in the 1800s. And he was saying there's so many moving parts. He is the one who gave Ida B. Wells the opportunity to write in his paper, gave her a platform to detail and condemn the lynching. And it was, it was, you know, during that time when he was in Brooklyn, when, when all of this was, was going on, just really extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It is, you know, he told her to come up here, come up, come up north and work out of his newspaper because he understood how important it was for her to continue with her anti-lynching campaign. And we know she went all over the world, you know, to Europe rather talking about, you know, lynching here in the United States. And so fortune played a role in her life. Fortune played a role in, in, you know, so many people's lives. It was, it's unfathomable to believe that, he is someone that none of us, I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist. Right. <laughs> Went to college. Right. Studied history, you know, and, and then no that's when I kind of bumped him. into, yeah. And then no one, and he's, he, you're not going to find him in the average history book. You're not going to find him. Wow. It's a and shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. But, but, but the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center here is now, and it's very important that it's here now because Red Bank, you know, where it's located and on the side of town where it's located was at one time all, predominantly, mostly African-American people and families. And it has now, the demographics has changed to mostly predominantly Latin people and families. So if the cultural center wasn't there, if the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center didn't exist, it would be as though black people never really thrived here in Red Bank. And they did. There was many businesses, black black owned businesses, black professionals, doctors, dentists, lawyers, you name it, teachers. And like I said, businesses, shops, but that's not here anymore. So it's it's very important that this T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center exists today, right here now in Red Bank, for that reason alone. Well, Gilda, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, you mentioned, and I just want to make sure people got the title, his book, Dreams of Life, Miscellaneous Poems. Dreams of Life, that's his book of poetry. But he has another book that you can go online and get called Black and White. Yes, Black Land, and White. Land, Labor, and Politics in the South. 
It's a great book to read right now because Fortune is talking about the amalgamation of black and white coming together for the benefit of all. Hmm. Come on. Yeah. He also has the book. Yeah, he was uh, saying this back then. 1884. 1884. The kind of education the Afro-American most needs. And then Sean Alexander, who was there at the ribbon cutting of the center. He has... A collection of works written by T. Thomas Fortune called T. Yep, Thomas Fortune. Yeah, The Agitator. The Agitator. Mm-hmm. The Agitator. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing with us this bridge to modern day civil rights movement that so many people don't know about. The humanitarian, the journalist, the civil rights leader, T. Thomas Fortune. Thank you for letting us know how you are continuing his legacy, Gilda. Well, thank you for inviting me on your show. So now more people will know. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. You've been listening to Stand with Candace Kelly. Please join us Saturday morning at 8.30 for another episode on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM and by searching for Rowan Radio on your favorite podcasting platforms.